When the Apostle Paul preached to the intellectuals of Greece on Mars Hill in Athens, he told them about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the scripture says they laughed him to scorn. I don't know what the Greek uh, context would be, but scholars say it's about like calling him a pea picker, a country boy, when he talked about the resurrection of Jesus. The offense was not the fact that he spoke of life after death, for the Greeks were well acquainted with the idea of living after you die. The problem to them was the idea of a person's body being resurrected out of the grave. For the prevailing philosophies of first century Greek world uh, are often uh, put together under the general term Gnosticism. In, in some of the uh, New Testament studies, you'll come across Gnosticism. And what it is, is not all that well defined. But uh, at its base is the idea that the human body in itself is evil. And this brought them to one of two conclusions. Either it brought them to uh, a kind of asceticism in which they said, uh, the only way to be a good person is to deny everything about your body. The less you can eat, the less you can give in to any kind of physical desire, the more spiritual person you would be. Or else they took the, the very opposite point of view, and they would say, uh, after all, this body is evil. Someday they're going to put it in a grave. The important thing is your spirit, so it doesn't matter how you live. You can cultivate your spirit and let your body do what it wants, because someday they're going to throw it away. So you can see that Paul's preaching about the resurrection of the body, offended either one of those viewpoints, whether it's asceticism or a licentious position, the resurrection goes contrary to it. I want us to look tonight at a scripture in which Paul speaks about the nature of our body and its relationship to our spiritual life. I'm convinced that one of the areas that Christians need clear thinking these days is about their body and the way that God sees it. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 12. Paul says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said that two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Well, it's very important for us to see that our body is not sinful. Our body is not an offense to God. It's a creation of His. 
And while the scripture speaks at points of this body of sin, what it's really talking about is the fact that our willful nature that rebels against God expresses itself in terms, in the context of our body. The more we learn about the human body medically, the more amazed we get. And the growing mystery, which we cannot begin to fathom, is the relationship between man's spirit and his body. The ancient Greeks thought that they could divide those two things. You can live and cultivate your spirit in some sort of worship, and you can live like an animal on the physical level, and those two things will not bother one another. But we we know that's not true today. We know that what we are physically influences our spirit, and we know that what we are spiritually influences our body. Skin specialists will tell you that many kinds of skin afflictions are very well related to the human spirit and can detail cases for you when people will deal with their bitterness and anger inside that their skin afflictions will clear up. The human spirit affects the body and the body, the spirit. Fatigue, that is such a a problem in our modern society, is much more a spiritual thing than a physical thing. It is not the manual labor that we do every day that causes people to break down physically. It's the boredom and anger and inner rebellion and frustration that eat away and rot the human spirit. But there's a connection between these two. Out of Paul's text tonight, we can make these assertions about God's view of the human body. One, that our body is somewhat an expression of our spiritual life. What God is doing in me is going to be seen to some degree in my body. The way I treat my body, its demeanor and health in lots of ways. Secondly, though my body dies, someday it will be resurrected. And I will receive a new body that in some ways will be an expression of God's saving grace in my life. Second Tim, uh, Second Corinthians 5.10 suggests that that someday we'll stand before the throne of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ as believers, and every believer will receive from him reward as to what has been done in his body. Our physical life expressions of response to God are going to be expressed in that day, and part of that expression is going to be the new body that the Lord gives us. And thirdly, Paul says very clearly here in other scriptures that God's redeeming work in us includes our body. We quoted this morning from 1 Thessalonians 5.23 where Paul says, And may your whole body, soul, and spirit be sanctified and preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's work of saving us includes our body as well as our spirit and our soul. I want to leave these four conclusions that I think come from this scripture and others about our attitude toward our body. First, the scriptures tell us that we need to be grateful for our bodies, that they are God's creation. They're the dwelling place that God has made us to live, and they've been designed by him. You're familiar with the 139th Psalm in verse 10, 
where it says, You were aware of me, Lord, when I was made in the secret place. And before I was yet born, you formed all my members, and all of them are recorded in your book. It's a very powerful idea. God designed my body. Its members, everything about it, are, are known to God and part of his plan for me. Uh, Isaiah suggests an improper response to God. Woe to him who quarrels with his maker, to him who is but a potsherd among the potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say he has no hands? Woe to him who says to his father, what have you begotten? Or to his mother, what have you brought to birth? Isaiah says it's unfitting for the creation to look at the Creator and say, why did you make me this way? When we do not accept our bodies as they are, we are being ungrateful to God and, and we are rebelling. One of the ideas that needs to grip our hearts is the awareness that happiness is in no way related to how we look. Beauty is something that's inside. Hard for us to realize that when we're young. In the, the society in which we live that cultivates such a body consciousness and style and looks, so we're, we're somehow convinced that happiness is round, you're all wound up in how beautiful you look. Not the case. Not at all. Happiness is bound up in how I respond to God and what he's made me to be. When I rebel against the body that I have, I am saying to God, I am unhappy with what you have made and I cannot accept it. And until the day we come to see that that is rebellion against God, and that the proper response is gratitude, we're not dealing on a proper basis with a very important area in our life that God wants to deal with. There's a, a submission to God that's part of his bringing joy in our heart. And part of that is to thank God for the body that I've given. Not only the way it looks, but its strength, its health, its energies. If Romans 8.28 is right, then in all the circumstances of our life, God uses that to the development of his plan and purpose in us. And part of that is what he's done in our bodies and continues to do that. A second response the Bible talks about is the dedication of our bodies. To God. Romans 12, 1 says, Paul, uh, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God, which is your reasonable service. In the text we've read tonight from 1 Corinthians 6, Paul's saying that our bodies are a very important part of our whole commitment to Jesus Christ. He's saying to the Corinthians, you can't give your body to the prostitutes of Corinth and your spirit to God. It's contradictory to the whole nature of things. God calls us uh, to holy living. He says that our bodies are part of the body of Jesus Christ. They're going to be planted in the ground, but someday they're going to come up. And my eternal life with Jesus Christ is going to involve a new body 
that is resurrected from this one being sown. And I cannot neglect the idea that there's a continuity there in a sense. Because my body and spirit are one in my relationship to Christ. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians about that. He says, you know the commandment we gave you from the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in holiness and honor, not in the lust of evil desire as the Gentiles do, that no man should go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner, for God is the avenger of all such. And he who sins, sins against God, who has also given unto us his Holy Spirit. One of the key issues in our life is giving God our bodies. Christianity is not a mystical, spiritualistic kind of response that is separated from the whole of life. No, it's the bringing of the whole unto God under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, as we've heard sung tonight. Then the third response the Bible talks about is discipline of our bodies. If if our spirit and body are so integrated, then certainly a very important part of our spiritual growth has to do with the godly discipline of our physical life as well as our spiritual. Think of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, just a couple chapters over. Verse 24, I think it's a familiar scripture to us. Paul says, you know, in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You see how Paul recognizes that his physical discipline is a very important part of his spiritual discipline. If I allow the desires of my body to begin to master all the other spiritual desires of of my person, then I am creating a situation that frustrates all of God's purposes in me. And one of the very practical parts of Christian living is is the discipline of bringing my body under Christ's lordship in the very practical things of my life. I'm suggesting that fasting may be good for some of us sometimes. We need to be careful about fasting. It can be a a fetish. It can get to be a a works sort of thing. But properly seen, it can be a means whereby we bring our bodily desires under our spiritual aims in life. And it's something we need to be very careful about and uh, to to do in uh, gradual measure. A good way to start is like fasting between meals or uh, something like that. I have a long way to go before we're ready to fast for a whole meal, the way way some of us go, right? Proper sleep, proper diet, 
proper rest. You know, those are very important parts of our spiritual life. Some of the people at Long Hill Chapel are right now building into their lives a discipline of getting up in the morning to be alone with God. You know what they're learning? They're learning a very important part of their devotional life is getting to bed on time. So the easiest hours we can waste in our lives is the late hours of the evening. We say, well, you know, just stay up a while and watch another show or do something that uh, has no particular value, but we get to bed late, it's hard to get up, our devotional life is wiped out, and a very important part of our, our daily walk and the growth that God wants to bring is messed up not because of some terrible sin, but because we haven't disciplined our body. Remember Dr. Bob Smith of Bethel College, who was quite a counselor, telling about a husband and wife who came to him. They had three little children. And the, and the husband was very concerned about his wife because she was getting very angry at the kids and, and threatening them and hitting them. And he didn't know what was the matter with her. And so they sat down and he says, uh, began to ask you know, very practical questions uh, to her. What time do you go to bed at night? Well... My husband comes home from work and he turns on the TV right away. We eat watching the TV. We watch it all evening and he wants to see the late show and he wants me to stay up so we get to bed about 1. And what time do you get up? Well, the baby wakes up at 5 o'clock and I get up to feed it and I've got to stay up to get his lunch and breakfast and off. And what do you eat for breakfast, ma'am? Well, I have a, a sugar roll and a cup of coffee. And by about 10 o'clock, I'm just pulling my hair out and I'm the kids are making me so angry, and he said to uh, the husband, well, do you get up some with the baby? And uh, kind of, no, I got to work all day. I just kind of sleep in. <laughs> says, uh, he says, doctor, what do you think about my wife? Should I commit her to some sort of an institution, or what should I do with her? <laughs> he said, well, sir, you've got a very deep spiritual problem in your home, and he said, I think the solution is simply this. Go home, take a hammer, and stick it through the front of your TV set. <laughs> Go to bed at night, get up, eat some protein for breakfast, it'll probably solve your whole problem. Our bodies are related to our spiritual life in lots of ways. This body belongs to God. The care of it is a stewardship. Because of the fall of Adam and the curse of sin upon the human race, it's going to die someday, and all of us live with disease in one degree or another. But there is a help that God gives us in our spiritual walk. And the giving of our body to God and its discipline in a godly, practical sense it's a very important part of God's plan in our life. All three of these things, I think, fit together in the New Testament idea about health and healing. We're familiar with the passage in James 5, which invites those who are sick to call for the elders and have them pray over them so that the prayer of faith may save the sick person, the afflicted person. In all the scriptures we've looked at tonight, you see the underwriting theme has been that God's purposes in our body are related to our spiritual growth and perfection in him. 
It all fits together. The gospel of the New Testament is not a a millennial gospel in the sense that now, in this world, those who believe are all going to have perfect health, perfect wealth, no taxes, everything is going to be fine. It's not like that. You may hear that on TV, but that's not what the New Testament is saying. But it is saying that God's work in us touches our spirit that he wants to perfect. And in the process, God is working his life in our bodies. It is God that does all healing. Whether we use medical science or not, it is God who heals. It is God who works in our bodies to perfect his purpose. We have a right as believers to come to God in our sickness and difficulty and with our physical problems and trust God to work in them and in our spirit to fulfill his purpose. The James passage, interestingly enough, talks about the fact that as we come to pray that we ought to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. For, for you see, it's tying together our spiritual growth in response to God with our physical condition and our need for healing. One of the damaging ideas that I think bothers a lot of Christians today is this old Greek idea that my body is, is a sinful thing. It's bad. If I could just get away from all its desires, I'd be all right. No, that's not what the Bible's saying at all. None of my physical desires are wrong. They just all need to be disciplined and given unto God and used unto his glory. God made this vessel of mine that I live in and the one you live in. Belongs to him. And part of our lordship of Christ's lordship in our lives is to yield that to him in our spirit and to allow him to discipline it and us and to allow it to be the channel through which he pours out his life in us and through us and to his glory and witness in the world. Let's bow together and pray. Ideas like we've talked about are not easily changed in our minds because they're very tied to maybe long emotional responses, maybe things that we've been taught and shamed in the past or whatever. Sometimes it takes a while for a scriptural truth to sink in and begin to work its way out. One of the ways that we can begin that, I think, is to begin to thank God for our bodies and to praise him for his gift and to yield it to him as an offering and to ask that his spirit fills us, he may help us to discipline ourselves in a godly fashion so that he may further his work of setting us apart, body, soul, and spirit, till that day when our Lord returns. Would you tonight, in this quiet moment, simply 
as God may have prompted you, respond with decision about what commitment he's asking you to make. Father, we thank you for the clarity of biblical teaching and truth and how practical and wholesome it is. And what a joy it is to know that we've been made by the Creator, made in his image, and that our physical life, even though now under sin, still reflects something of his image and still is part of God's great redeeming purpose. I pray, Lord, that you will use this truth in helping us as we walk daily. Some of us here tonight walk with physical ailments of chronic and long-term nature. And, uh, Lord, we need to understand that this can be all part of, of God's tools in our life as we thank him and yield to him to bring about the holiness of our life. Help us, Lord, in the sensual world in which we live to not be drawn aside from a godly viewpoint of knowing that we need to walk in purity and that God is able to give us that. Help us to be able to trust you and to know a disciplined life with godly goals. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.